Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the end of January. Everyone's skint. Everyone's depressed. And it's bloody freezing. And so the Labour Party thought, of course, what better time to launch a long, arduous leadership race. And that's what they're doing. I'm Basha Cummings, and this week on the Tortoise Podcast, we look at the fight for the future and for the soul of the Labour Party. After a catastrophically bad election result in December, Jeremy Corbyn announced that he'd be stepping down. And now there's a fight on who should succeed him. And let's face it, what they're facing is pretty grim. Brexit is... Pretty much a done deal, Boris Johnson has a massive majority, and the Labour Party is divided and deflated. So I went along to the party's first hustings, held a few days ago in the city of Liverpool. I wanted to get a feel from inside the room and who was in the audience. Okay, so I've just got in to the ACC in Liverpool on the docks, and it looks like a massive building. There's quite a few people, a few queues already. Just walking through to get to the room. It's a picture of the Titanic, of course. And yeah, it's filling up now. I was looking for the standout candidate, the person who was going to inject the nuclear levels of energy needed to reanimate Labour after the December electoral meltdown. But in the windowless basement of the flashy convention centre, that energy was remarkably hard to find. In fact, it was a strange, frankly, pretty underwhelming event. And it was a million miles away from when Corbyn burst onto the stage in 2015. So let's rewind. Labour hustings on the BBC. This was the moment that Corbyn cut through. Well, I've never considered myself very much part of New Labour, so let's put that one (laughs) on one side. Uh, There were some serious problems with the way in which Tony Blair and New Labour approached things. And this is the elephant that's in this room and everywhere else. Why, oh, why, oh, why did Blair have to get so close to Bush that we ended up in an illegal war in Iraq and we're still paying the price for that? Back then, he was a campaigning backbench MP. And it's fair to say that he electrified the race. Particularly among younger people, this was a figure that they felt they could believe in. You might remember the adoring chants and the absolute boy memes. But that energy was sorely lacking in Liverpool. 
One candidate, Jess Phillips, was so low on energy, so downbeat, that she withdrew from the race just a few days after. The Labour Party will need to select a candidate that can unite all parts of our movement, the union movement, the members, the elected representatives. And I have to be honest with myself, as I said I always would be throughout this campaign, that at this time, that person isn't me. Corbyn may be gone, but his policies definitely live on. Each candidate at the hustings was desperate to speak of left-wing policies repackaged and repurposed under a different name. So here are the two frontrunners. Sir Keir Starmer, who's the shadow Brexit secretary, and Rebecca Long-Bailey, I won't debate the hyphen, who's the shadow business secretary. Rising homelessness. People trapped in low pay. Global corporations paying next to no tax. I don't believe that that is inevitable. I think another future is possible, but only if we fight for it. Uh, The Green Industrial Revolution was one of the economic reform, democratising forms of ownership and industrial strategy. All things that would have transformed lives in our heartlands that lost trust with us. We need to have that aspirational socialist message. Though they're both in the lead, they were both pretty uninspiring and what should have been the kickstarting of an energetic pitch fell, well, flat. But there was another thing that was clear from being in the room and that was that anti-Semitism continues to haunt the party and a new leader won't immediately fix that. It was the issue that most animated the room and dominated the lunchtime chat. In fact, I accidentally waded right into the middle of a really tense debate held over sandwiches. Don't you think it's grossly exaggerated? Whatever anti-Semitism exists, whether it's just on anti-social media or whatever... Do you mean anti-Semitism in the Labour Party is exaggerated? Do you mean it doesn't exist? Or it's been exaggerated by Zionists? I think it... But there's been, there's been anti, but there's been anti-Jewish, there's been anti-Jewish feeling in the Labour Party since the 1980s. I mean, plenty of Jews are anti-Zionists. You must know that. I am. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So right. I've been being an anti-Semite. I mean, to be honest. I, it's just absolute nonsense. I mean, has, has the board of deputies? I was involved. I was involved in the anti-Nazi league in in the late seventies. So was I. Against the National Front so in, in Oldham, actually, in North Manchester. Yeah. Although to be anti-Zionist is not the same as being anti-Israel. They're all very important differences. The board of the board of deputies. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully that gives you a sense of what ended up being an almost 10-minute debate over the lunch table on anti-Semitism. But let me shake myself out of the gloom. It wasn't all downbeat. One person did genuinely seem fresh and she grabbed my attention. And that's an MP called Lisa Nandy. And if you haven't heard of her, you're not the only one. She's the least well-known of the candidates, but she's already confirmed her place on the final ballot after picking up the endorsement of one of the biggest trade unions in the country, GMB. She's also impressed people with her fearlessness. She's faced down some of the UK's most bullish interviewers, Andrew Neil, Piers Morgan, and this week she secured the headline slot on the flagship Today programme on Radio 4. Who's your favourite Labour leader? Um, I think there are different... uh 
leaders who've done different things for the party at different times. But one of the things... Carefully avoided. Well, just just actually, the, if you don't mind me saying so, it's a bit of a daft question because, you know, people are complex and it's perfectly possible to believe that people do both good and bad things. Well, let me, my let view, me my view of the Jer- non-daft My view of Jeremy Corbyn, which yeah. you've neatly sort of caricatured at the beginning, well, actually is a... It. Well, it's, it's of someone that I've known since I was 21 years old. So could this woman, an MP for Wigan with an Indian father... Could she be shifting from backbencher to frontrunner in the race to lead the Labour Party? Well, I'm joined by two of the biggest political nerds in our newsroom, Matt Dancona and Chris Cook, and they're going to help me figure it out. Welcome, Chris, Matt. Hello. Hello, hello. Hi. Okay, so Matt, who is Lisa Nandy? Well, Lisa Nandy is the kind of the breakout star of this leadership contest in the Labour Party. She's MP for Wigan. She's been an MP since 2010. Moderately well known, I guess, uh, not least because she chaired the campaign to unseat Jeremy Corbyn in 2016. But I think it's been a surprise that she's been quite so um, robust and formidable in this this race. She's the second candidate uh, after Keir Starmer to get through officially to the ballot. And I think there's a lot of interest in what she represents and and why she's making such a, mm. you know, hard go of it. And you said fierce and robust. I mean, she's really kind of had an uplift now after her performance with Andrew Neil and also Pierce Morgan, which was yeah. I mean, it, what, what's interesting about her, I think, is 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 that she's in some respects occupying the terrain that a lot of people thought Jess Phillips was going to occupy, which is that of the plain speaking media performer. And I think the Andrew Neil interview was a was a breakthrough because mm-hmm. after all Boris Johnson during the general election wouldn't be interviewed by Andrew Neil but she really did do extremely well stood up to Piers Morgan over Meghan Markle and yeah. racism 70% of the Meghan coverage has been positive 30% has been negative and she just doesn't like the negative stuff it's got nothing to do with her skin color nothing to do with her gender it's just they've done stuff that the British public and the media reflect British public opinion most of the time just thought was wrong well, if you don't mind me saying, how on earth would you know, as somebody who's never had to deal with ingrained prejudice, you're not in a position to understand people who have? I, I tell you how I know. This is um, one of those moments where you see a star being born. Mm-hmm. So what kind of hurdles is she going to have to get over in this race? I mean, you mentioned that she's through to the final round. She's got the support of a big trade union, GMB. But, but what is she going to have to clear between now and April? Well, I suppose the problem is... For for all uh, of his rivals, that Keir Starmer has a very long and perhaps surprising lead on the, the others, and Lisa Nandy, though she's gaining name recognition, is not yet identified specifically with any part of the party or any particular faction, which may in fact, if time allows, prove to be her greatest strength. I think what I think is certain, and she's already landed, if you like, is that she's going to be a figure in British politics during this parliament. Okay, so Chris, one of the things that when I was in Liverpool, she she mentioned a couple of times when she was sort of laying out her pitch was something called the Red Bridge. You've obviously been looking into this. This is her idea that you could connect a sort of London seat like Hammersmith, a Labour voting London seat, with one of the northern seats. And how do you kind of bridge that gap, I suppose, is the point that she was trying to make. Is that doable? So historically, the Labour Party's always been, the, the, the cliche is it's Hampstead and Hull. So it's always had a core of urban liberals 
who, broadly speaking, packed a train with cash at St Pancras Station and sent it to the north of England. Right? <laughs> That's, I think, a fair way of broadly characterising the stuff there. But there are big reasons why some of that stuff has got really difficult and, um, to hold together and why that coalition of basically what are euphemistically always called traditional working class areas and the cities, which are more diverse, better educated. So the, the, first, the first big thing I'd really point to is that one of the defining features of England. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Is that over the last thousand years, one of the weird things about it has been the willingness of people to get up and move to its capital city. Mm-hmm. And you see it going all the way back into the late medieval periods, right? So the most famous Londoner, the mayor of London, until relatively recently, was Dick Whittington, right? The subject of a folktale about a man who comes with his cat to London and makes his fortune as, with his cat being a very effective mouser. The thing about Dick Whittington is he came from Lancashire, right? He comes from outside. He makes his fortune. He believes that London, the streets of London are paved with gold. Mm. And the, this is a feature of our culture that defines lots of things about it. Uh, of the country in a way that's actually quite extreme and unique I- in Europe. So she's trying to say that she's going to unite these two ends of the country. Yeah, the senders of young people and the receivers of young yeah. people. But is that is that slightly like trying to be all things to all people? Yeah. So so one of the things that's really worth bearing in mind is that um, there's a second thing going on in the country as well. So we're in a strange moment in our history as well, which is that if you're about eighty-ish now, you could have left school at fourteen. You probably didn't go to a grammar school, like, you know, three quarters of people went to a school which had no qualifications at the end of it. Mm. We didn't start inspecting schools until the 1990s properly. We didn't start having league tables for the 1990s. It is underestimated how bad the English education system used to be and how fast it's been improving in recent decades. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's important about this is that you have in the same electorate, you have 80 year olds, most of whom would have left school at 14, and you have people who are 21, 18, 21, who will have had 
a further seven years, one and a half times, you know, double the amount of education that some of these other people. This is an enormous cultural shift and we are only just feeling the edges at the moment of the conflicts that's arising. Well, you often hear this stuff about, you see this stuff about how the young tend to vote Remain, the old tend to vote Brexit. They are fundamentally different populations with different educational experience. So to take Lisa Nandy's two examples, right? So she's, uh, so Hammersmith, where she was a councillor and Wigan, where she's the MP, the number of people who've got like a degree level qualification in Wigan, it's about 24, 25% in Wigan. In Hammersmith, it's about 60%, wow. right? These are places with different economic interests. These are two fundamentally different pop- uh, populations. And there has always been the Dick Whittington effect, right? There's always been a sending thing. But the but, gap between these two places is getting more extreme. So is what you're saying that this isn't a convincing policy proposal? It's a really hard... Is it, so people have done it before in less extreme circumstances. So Blair won both Wigan and Hammersmith. Well, yeah. And the... the the, you can do it, but you have to come up with a proposition that unites these two things. I think one of her great strengths is that she's amphibious. I mean, actually, she comes from, uh, you know, almost labour aristocracy. You know, her father, Deepak Nandi, was the founder of the Runnymede yes, Trust. Yeah. Her mum was a producer on Granada. Uh, her grandfather was a Liberal MP. Mm. You know, she's not quite dynastic labour to the extent that the Miliband brothers are, but she doesn't. But she doesn't convey any of that. No, um, no. So she's, you know, while, while not being kind of make, pretending to be working class, she seems to me to be able to address most um, audiences. And I'm mm. not sure that any of the other candidates have that. One woman said to me on Thursday, I haven't left the Labour Party. The Labour Party has left me. And that's why I say that it has to be my mission, our mission, to bring Labour back home to people like her. Overall taking a step back from the race labor feels a very very long way from power is one is the next leader going to be enough do you think or no. is this a no i mean i think that it would require superhuman mm. uh qualities to 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 lift the party from where it's at now at the beginning of 2020 to where it needs to be assuming boris johnson goes the full term or thereabouts and I don't sense, you know, in any of the candidates, a readiness to really confront the scale of the problem. They all talk about how shocking it was. They'll talk about extinction level events, but they won't then proceed with the diagnosis. Mm. Patient remains twitching on the on the gurney, but there's no real attempt to to carry out a full diagnosis and then and then the treatment but also no urgency like no. it really struck me that you know having until april to decide somebody new having this incredibly drawn out process it's like sapping the energy from a process that that could otherwise perhaps be quite energizing and require you know a sort of sh- shot of adrenaline in the arm of everybody involved and that doesn't seem to be happening one of the things to think about is that in 2015, the Labour Party went from being like a party in contention when basically all of Scotland, if not the, the party, to basically out of contention in almost all of Scotland, right? It sort of wiped out in at least half the seats, 40 odd seats. The, this election in 2019, they moved out of second place in about 60 odd seats in the south, principally in the south of England and London, where the Liberal Democrats have sort of recovered um, and become the challenger party. One of their central problems is that the path, the sort of quickest route, right, the the smallest swing route to get back to a majority is now 
an enormous swing. What I find amazing about it is that you often hear Labour people comparing their predicament to the, the predicament that was facing Michael Foote in 1983 or William Hague from in Tory opposition in 2001. But these were opposition leaders um, after only one defeat. Labour's lost four successive elections, now admittedly in a fairly compressed period of time. But no, no Democratic Party can continue to lose general elections at this pace. And what's I think um, dispiriting about the whole kind of the whole process is that so much energy is is devoted to excusing the result, and it's a, it's a list of excuses rather than a series of challenges. And when you compare it to, let's say, the energy in the early '90s, especially after '94 when Blair became leader, it, 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 there is absolutely no comparison. So. Some of Keir Starmer's followers say, oh, you know, he's he's not going to be a Kinnock, he's going to be a Blair. Well, good luck with that, because as Chris was saying, the scale, the sheer scale, you know, they don't have an offer in Scotland. They don't have an offer in most of England. Uh, many of their seats in England that they hold have very diminished majorities. So even to stay standing still is going to be an effort of will. We can't do a whole podcast about who's going to win without me asking you, who do you think is going to win? Matt. I'm afraid, boringly, I think Keir Starmer's going to win okay. because I think he's he's tacked enough to the left to win as efficiency of the membership. Chris? I think Keir Starmer will win and I also think he's probably the best choice of the Labour Party because most of the others make them choose whether they're going to keep their MPs or keep their members. And with Keir Starmer, they get to keep both. People won't quit the party for him. Isn't that absolutely crazy for Labour? Never had a female leader. There are four women, were four women now, three still in it and one man and it's still going to be a man i'm not sure i think there are i mean it's it's always important to remember how culturally conservative a lot of labor is mm. and you know i'm not saying that uh, that the 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 the, the, the keir surge which was sudden and a bit surprising mm. is underpinned by misogyny that would go too far way too far but I think there are Labour members who probably think of Keir Starmer as a posh Southern lawyer, mm. in spite of his attempts to appear one of the four Yorkshiremen. Yeah, they're born in a cardboard box, but think at least he's a guy. I do. I do think that's part of Labour Labour's culture. He's very unusual as a candidate in a leadership election in any party, and he's had a proper job before. Like yeah. the, what was he director? Public prosecutions. Yeah. Like he's he is actually circus, aren't we? Like he he locked up rapists, right? This is a proper job. This is a serious thing. He uh, high accountability, difficult task. He was at the top of his profession, and that is actually quite unusual. And I, that may be part of this. It's just quite hard to compete with that when you you know you're a you're a lawyer, or whatever. Mm. He's just he's never done that. Okay, but perhaps the the sort of best test of who should really be the next leader is how well their name maps onto the White Stripes refrain. You're going to sing for us? Well, I was actually going to ask you to sing. I'm all right. I'm okay. Oh, Becky Long Bailey. (laughs) I just can't can't believe I did that. Yeah, well, I'm glad we got that recorded on audio. So, I mean, Keir Starmer's work. Does does Lisa and Andy have a middle name that we can... Oh... Please, I'm not going to be drawn. Be drawn. I mean, Keir Starmer. Oh, oh, Chris, you're not above this. Come on. <laughs> TV's Chris Cook. The 
So I had. I'm gonna. I'm gonna Don't you can't make a serious point now. Oh, there's only one Keir Starmer. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> it's all horrible, isn't it? It's all horrible. Chris I'm, is still refusing. Chris is horrified by the lowering of the tone. <laughs> I went to. I had lunch with a guy called Fred Jarvis a few weeks ago, and Fred is striking for the fact he is in his mid nineties. He's still a very active Labour member. He stood when Attlee was leader. And he was the general secretary of the National Union of Teachers in the 70s. And he is a... Um, is this going to be funny? No, no, no. It's a really <laughs> serious thing. His whole thing, he said, basically said to me, I'm going to basically choose the most charismatic leader because it's the only thing you can't buy in. And everything else is everything else is, can be dealt with afterwards. But the thing you can't fix is if you choose an uncharismatic person at the start. And the, he then said, he was thinking about Keir Starmer, and I have to tell you, I did raise my eyebrows at that because mm. he is not, he's not, doesn't set the heather alight. But um, I do think there's, I think there's something in it. I think, I think Fred may be right. Yeah, okay. Quentin Christical defined charisma as the ability to influence without logic. It's good that, Nat. That is good. Okay, thank you both. Bye. Us, we're trying to do journalism differently and build a slower, wiser type of newsroom. Quality journalism doesn't come for free though, so we depend on our members to fund our reporting. And if you're enjoying the podcast, the best way to support us is to join us. If you're an iOS user, download the app from the App Store and get the first 30 days free or otherwise visit our website, tortoisemedia.com, before the end of January and you can join us for half price. Lovely. Lovely. A lovely sign. I can't believe you didn't bloody sing. Mr. Cook does not sing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.